I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. We hope you are enjoying your festive, hopefully festive holiday season. I realize for a lot of people, it's finals week next week. So maybe not that festive, but festive, I hope, is on the, the near horizon. In honor of the festive season, Sienna and I checked out some gay holiday movies. It was a mistake. But we are here to save you from making a similarly foolish mistake. Okay, where do we even start? Well, I don't know. I mean, I just am like, wow, I do love like a cute little queer holiday romance to read over winter break. You know, I set aside my normal reading system for Halloween and winter break. And I'm like, I'm just going to read like something that's seasonally appropriate. And so, you know, for winter, I like to do some holiday romances and some wintry horror, which is, you know, a normal combination. But last year, I read a couple different holiday romances. There was one called Kiss Her Once for Me by, I think, Alison Cochran. There was You're a Mean One, Matthew Prince by Timothy, <laughs> Timothy Yanofsky. That title just cracks me up. Yeah, see, like there's just loads of potential here, right? Lots of fun references to Christmas songs. Like, I mean, the holiday romance genre, right? I had some issues with the setup of Kiss Her Once for Me. Um, there was one more. I'm blinking on the title, though. But anyway, I had, you know, solid romances, right? And so I'm like, wow, it sure would be nice if there were some of this in movie form. Two years ago, my freshman year of college, I was like, wow, there's a sapphic holiday movie out called Happiest Season. And I watched it and I was not amused. Mom liked it more than me, I think. But I, well, we can we can talk about it. Should we just start with that one then? Yeah. All right. I mean, I thought it was decently made. I wasn't bored. I was entertained. I cried, which does not take much to, to pull on my heartstrings. Quick summary. Harper, who I think is a journalist, invites her live-in girlfriend, Dylan, to come home with her for Christmas. On the drive home, on the drive home, she informs her that she actually never did tell her parents that she was gay and had a girlfriend, even though she said she did. And so, by the way, could Dylan pretend just to be her friend and roommate? And at some point, she'll tell them. Dylan was understandably irked. I would have not wanted to go. Right. That's my that's that's my biggest <laughs> like the entire premise of this movie irritates me so much. Harper is so entitled and self-centered. Like, here's the thing. In my relationship, I have been navigating like how do you deal with unsupportive family and all that stuff? And it, like it's hard. And, you know, people certainly should not be forced to come out. And that is a very personal thing. And like there's loads of queer literature exploring that, actually. But you don't if you deliberately make choices of come home with me for Christmas. Oh, it'll be so fun. You can meet my family. Oh, hey, by the way, I know we're almost there, but they also don't know you're my girlfriend and I don't want to come out. So yeah, that was like really horrible thing to spring on her. That is then putting your partner in an unfair position, right? You, you have the right to not express your identity to your family. You do not have the right to put another person in the position of having to hide who they are. That is not acceptable to me. Totally fair. I didn't like her from the start. Right. 
she was terrible. She was just a bad person. And like then, I mean, I, my memory is admittedly a little bit fuzzy, but like I, I just remember her continually being awful throughout the movie, not just to Dylan, but also like to her siblings and just like, yeah, it was just terrible. And I hated watching it. Yeah, there was definitely some unpleasantness with the family. They were not super likable people. Anyway, I'm just saying if someone put me in that position, I would not be like, oh, cute, happy, romantic makeup. Like, no, I would be out of there. And like, I think it's perfectly legitimate of you to want to leave. And I don't think that you should then make up with the person who put you in that position. Not to mention that there are like other things that come out throughout the movie that, wow, she really isn't a great person. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so Harper's family is rich and pretentious, and they're all obsessed with looking perfect, especially because the dad is running for mayor, I think. And so having a gay daughter would be really inconvenient for them. So then, of course, there's drama because Dylan is increasingly frustrated with Harper's unwillingness to stand up for herself. And like I said, I, I mean, I thought it was entertaining. I don't know. The cast did a good job. Dan Levy is always entertaining to watch. So I appreciated his comic relief for the madness. Didn't he like kill all her pets or something accidentally? Well, there was a thing with the fish. Yeah. I wonder if it's on Does the Dog Die? It should be. I was just saying this about the Washington Post articles. Like they have this really bad habit of covering all of these horrible things that happen to animals. And I'm sorry, if you're going to focus on that so much, I need you to give me a content warning in the uh, newsletters or something, you know? Yeah. I even think the headlines should have a section. For- oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying is like anything when- related to animals, because even having to read a headline and then it's like in my head and. Mm-hmm. Anyway, returning anyway. to the point. Yeah, I thought like, you know, from a quote unquote objective standpoint, like it's a perfectly well-made movie, I guess. I just hated everything about the characters and the story, which yeah. I, like I found it hard to watch, but partially because it was, you know, dealing with, like I said, some stuff that's very personal to me, that's personal to a lot of the members of the queer community. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've touched on this before, but I personally think what makes a movie good is not just like the idea of, oh, you know, it's well filmed. It does this and this and this and the actors are good. It's also, does it mean something to you to watch? Is it enjoyable? Isn't quite, quite the right word because there are also some amazing movies that are really hard to watch. But is it accomplishing the emotions that it's intending to arouse in the audience? And if this is trying to make me like, oh, ha ha, cute, emotional holiday romance, it, it's not doing that, man. Like, it's not doing that. And so personally, I would prefer to watch a slowly like, lower budget, less well-made movie, maybe. Maybe the acting's a little bit less good that achieves the goals of a romance, which are to, you know, sort of use the romance as a tool of developing the characters, which doesn't really happen, by the way. Like, Harper just kind of continues to suck until she's eventually forced to be slightly less sucky. And, you know, so it does that. It makes the viewer, like, maybe a little bit emotional in the middle and then ends with them feeling happy. Didn't leave me feeling happy. Just made me really stressed out through the entire movie, right? So I would prefer a movie that accomplishes those goals, even if it's less well-made from a film standpoint. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that message that Dylan's experience and end of things and all of that could be so disregarded for the whole story until Harper has to make this like last ditch effort to save their relationship was not probably the best message. (laughs) Right. It felt I mean, that's part of what really bothered me is that it felt like 
the movie was trying to say that she was being the unreasonable one and she had unreasonable mm-hmm. expectations and Harper's in this terrible position when if you want to make yourself miserable at the holidays by not telling your like not expressing your identity to your family I mean that's like a personal decision again like very serious coming out is hard but you don't impose it on another person and then blame them for it that's a very selfish decision okay well next we're going to talk about a string of movies that are all about successful white gay men who go home for the holidays to their super sweet, supportive families, especially their moms. Who go back to families who are determined to meddle in their relationships. Yes, there's definitely that. So, And hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue in all of these movies. I'll start with Single All the Way. It is actually probably my favorite of all of these. I was just going to say it is not like the highest of high bars, but I did think that it was the best of the bunch. Like as a romantic comedy, it's doing what you want it to do, right? Cute relationship. I'm invested in this couple. You know, there's there's some funny moments. You know, they have a very sweet end of the movie. It's nice. Is it substantial? Not terribly. But like if you're looking for a Christmas rom-com, like it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I thought everybody's like pretty likable. So Peter, who I guess has had a hard time maintaining relationships, has told his family that he's bringing a boyfriend home for Christmas and everybody's really excited. And then that falls apart. So he ends up convincing his best friend and roommate to come home with him and to tell everybody that they're together, which fell apart pretty quickly, it seems like. Like immediately. I thought that was funny. Expecting it to be like a fake dating story. And it's not. It's not a fake dating story at all. All the descriptions of the movie kind of, and that's not really where it ended up, but, but it was. I mean, I feel like those sort of old friends falling in love stories generally make pretty good rom-coms. Yeah. I don't know. I thought the characters were pretty likable and entertaining and silly and my biggest issue with this one, so it is directed by an openly gay guy, which is cool. The way it incorporated gay culture to me felt a little bit like sometimes it was trying a little bit too hard to be like, haha, the gay culture. Am I right? Wink, wink, nudge, oh. nudge. It felt like it was simultaneously like sometimes it was trying to sort of make fun of the way that straight people interact with it. And then sometimes it was interacting it with it the way straight people interact with it. It felt a little bit heavy handed to me, I guess. I think I see what you're talking about. But we know that it could be worse. <laughs> could be so much worse. <laughs> yeah, I can I see that. Like looking back at like some of the and the whole like trainer from the gym that his mom's trying to set him up with is very, very and, cliche, know, the, uh, I guess. Jennifer Coolidge's character being like, the gays love me. (laughs) Which is probably true. It's funny. Did she play Paulette in Legally Blonde? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. Right? So it's obviously referencing like exactly that kind of character. And like, it's a conscious choice of like, hey, we're casting Jennifer Coolidge. But I don't know. Yeah, the way it is used in the movie, I just am like, see, it's not funny anymore at this point. For anyone who's watched The White Lotus, you know that has a very dark, ironic twist of the knife to it. Jennifer Coolidge saying the gays love me. But anyway, (laughs) I'll leave that right Um, there. The other thing, the degree to which the women in the family decided that they needed to be involved with the relationship. 
See, the thing is, straight women really like to be involved in queer men's relationships. I think it stems from, like, the gay best friend thing. And it turns into, like, a, it's like a badge of honor to be involved in a queer guy's relationships. And so to me, the obsession that they all had with this relationship, I was like, y'all need to chill just a little bit. But if that is true, if it's a stereotype because it's true, then isn't it sort of accurate? Isn't there a really good chance that in real life, this guy's female relatives would be really invested in his relationship? Yeah, but I mean, I feel like if you're going to then incorporate that into a movie, I mean, that's sort of what I'm saying is I, I would have liked to see a little bit, not even necessarily more aggressive criticism of it, but a little bit more sharpness in the like, ha ha, mom. Yeah, they put up with a lot. Yeah. Speaking of over-invested mothers, the Christmas setup. This one was not as good. <laughs> Hugo, a workaholic attorney in New York, heads back to Milwaukee to visit his mom for Christmas. And he brings his best friend Madeline along for a Wisconsin Christmas because she said a New York Christmas sounded great. I don't know. That was a weird jump, but whatever. Hugo's mom is played by Fran Drescher, which some people can stomach better than others. And who also sounds nothing like my mother who was actually born in Milwaukee, but apparently she moved there from New York at some point, they said during the movie. So that explained why she sounded like she did. But his mom is also head of the Neighborhood Association and is fighting a really determined battle against Big Bad Development, who's trying to turn the local beloved train depot into a train kiosk we spent the entire movie that, baby. <laughs> trying to figure out what exactly the train kiosk was going to be but luckily it never came to that of course hugo runs into his old crush patrick who runs a christmas tree lot for charity but actually made like billions of dollars off a really confusing app that apparently all the young people love, but I never really understood. And Wait, if he has so much money, why didn't he just buy the train station? Ooh, yeah. Patrick is a corporate louse. Yes. Oh, I bet he was like feeding information to the, the train kiosk people the whole time. That's going to be the Christmas setup part two. It's when Hugo <laughs> finds out about that. Anyway, Hugo's mom works very, 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 very hard to set Hugo and Patrick up. And there's a lot of drama, even though there's not really any reason for drama because it's like they were ever together before. I don't really I genuinely don't even remember the drama at this point. Like I watched this like, I don't know a week ago and it has Which isn't really that long my, <laughs> it's just dripped out of my brain <laughs> not i have had so much trouble like keeping these movies straight in my head that's <laughs> why they're gay christmas movies because you can't keep them straight <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> we we will not be transitioning to a comedy podcast Anytime soon. I don't because know what you're talking about. I think I should be doing the marketing for these movies. I'm not sure that we crack anybody up but ourselves, though. Was this the one where there was like the drag bar that they went to? I think it was because I think the best friend was there with his brother. Yes. And then he had to get up and sing. Hugo had to get up and sing 
And he sang something about like home or something. And then Patrick got all upset and left. And we never really figured out why, but we think maybe it's because he was going back to New York and Patrick was staying in Milwaukee. And all of I don't these know. people are weirdly disasters about, oh no, we live in different places. It's so hard. Like if you like each other, either you do a long distance relationship or one of you moves, and it's not that big a deal. People do that all the time. That is a normal thing. Like, give it a try first. Right? Like, if you actually mm. like someone, I feel like you would at least rather give it a try to be in a long-distance relationship with them than just, like, move on. It, I do not feel that you're that invested in this relationship if you're not even interested in trying. They seem very invested in things that they only became aware of, like, two days ago, but... Maybe I'm not that romantic. I don't know. That one, I don't really recommend unless you love Fran Drescher. And yet I was willing to tolerate it. Did I enjoy it? Eh, not particularly. At least it was amusing, but I was willing to tolerate it. I was not willing to tolerate the next one. A Christmas to Treasure. I mean, you did tolerate it. You watched it. I did. I wasn't happy about it. It was really bad. It was so bad. It wasn't even funny bad. It was just bad. So in this movie, this beloved neighborhood woman has died, Mrs. Marley, and left behind a treasure hunt for the six kids who were now adults that used to like live in her neighborhood and play at her house. And she sends them all letters so they can come together and find this treasure. One of them is Austin, who with his friend Tipper, who's also one of the neighborhood childhood friends, is in LA developing a startup which will get influencers to attend parties using a lot of branded stuff. And this is the whole... I genuinely thought that the man that they were presenting their idea to was the main character and that it was making fun of startups and stuff because it was so stupid. I thought that at first too. And then I realized that, I don't know how, but I realized he was the character. And then I was like... Oh, and he's going to go back home like they do in Christmas movies. And it's going to be because he realized that he can't make it in L.A. because his ideas are so stupid. But that wasn't actually it. Apparently, it was a good idea. They go back to wherever this, I don't know, I'm assuming it was somewhere like tahoe or something because people were talking about skiing. And Austin is reunited with Everett, who is his former best friend and apparently, I think, boyfriend in high school. But Everett, I think they just kissed once. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's why he was so upset because they kissed and then Everett like left town or something. I don't know. Something weird. Everett wasn't ready to come out, which is fine. But apparently Austin is still like a little cranky about it. So there's all this drama between them because Austin's still mad at Everett. And anyway, then they search for treasure and try to save Mrs. Marley's house. And the acting is bad. The story is bad. I don't know. Can you think of anything positive? I guess there's gay representation. <laughs> so the gay representation of gay people is the most petty, whiny, annoying, pathetic white men ever. So is that really progress? I, yeah, I noticed that. Like every gay man was portrayed as being really petulant. And passive too. Like none of them are willing to do anything. Yeah. You might take a job. Oh, well, I guess Aww. we can't be together. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my like God. They're all, they're all the Rockies of the gay men world. 
Yes. Our dog, our lab mix, who will not fight for anything. He just will stare at something he can't have and look really sad instead of... We got Zuma, a puppy, and she immediately asserted herself and he does nothing. He will not stop her. And so she just takes his bed, takes his treats, takes his food. And even though he was much bigger, he would just stare at her sadly. Like, I wish this weren't happening. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so just like imagine that, but with every single character. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Don't recommend A Christmas to Treasure. We did not treasure this movie, even a little bit. So our last one actually veered off the uh, highway of gay men movies. Instead of rich, white, attractive-ish men, we had relatively well-off. Yeah, I thought they were solidly working-class-looking houses and stuff. But Well, probably, uh, what's their name? Um, I don't know. I sort of think that if you're living in an apartment like that in New York... Oh, well, she was rich because she was a Broadway... So this the main character of this show is Becca, who's a Broadway star who is in some horrific knockoff slash spinoff musical of Friends. I didn't understand that. It it was so painfully bad. I actually watched this one with Irene and she like, you know, because it opened with that number. She was like, is this a musical? Like, is it a musical (laughs) Christmas movie? And I was like, I don't know. That was weird and also not necessary because it was really bad. It wasn't like, oh, this number is great. Let's throw it in the movie for everybody's entertainment. It didn't. Well, it's also so funny because, you know, the the other time she sings, the other two times she sings, it's like, oh, yes, she's releasing a Christmas album. Let's hear Becca's Christmas song. And, you know, the first time it like then switches scenes as she's singing. I'm like, okay, sure. Maybe it just cut off. And then she sings it again in a bar. And no, apparently it's just a really short song. And there was that one part where she's singing on the street outside the theater. Was that a musical number in the That's movie? That's what I'm saying is it was just like or a was it... random musical number in the movie for no reason. Yeah, that was so weird. Anyway. Right? Anyway, weird. I also didn't like Becca. Yeah. Or Jack. Jack, no. Jack was fine. Well, I have other issues with Jack, but no, I didn't like Sam. I didn't like any of them. Yeah. So Becca goes home and her high school sweetheart, Sam, is petty and rude basically from day one because they're still in love with dreams. Becca and they're upset because Becca is talented and would be dragged down by them, I guess. Anyway, Sam and Becca's moms are conveniently best of friends and... They know Sam and Becca are meant to be together. So they spend the whole movie trying to get them together because they, like all the other moms in these movies, know the secret that apparently I didn't know, which is that if you want your kid to do something, definitely push them constantly into (laughs) it. And they will want it more than anything else in the world, I guess. Yes, totally. (laughs) So yeah, there's all this drama because Becca has a career and, Sam and Becca's back to like get back together with Sam, but Sam doesn't want to get back together because Becca has a, I don't know. It's, it's all weird. And also this tiny Tennessee town is the queerest, most open-minded town I have ever seen in my life in Tennessee. This is a thing. Oh, also none of them had accents except for Sam. Anyway, so none of these movies are at all interested in engaging with the reality of sometimes people are homophobic and transphobic and crappy. 
And there's like mentions of, oh, I wasn't ready to come out yet. And probably the movie that most does this is Happiest Season, which then, of course, whacks you over the head with it in a horrible, miserable traumatic way. And this this is admittedly a difficult thing to do. Like it's a balance that I think is pretty difficult to strike, but most queer people are conscious of homophobia and transphobia as they go through everyday life. Like it comes up a lot because you're always like, "Hmm, can I hold my partner's hand? Is someone going to start yelling at us?" Hmm. Can I go in this bathroom? Is it going to make someone start trying to attack me? It comes up every single day. And there it's not a thing that you can just like erase out of the universe without it feeling really contrived. It shouldn't be like Happiest Season either, in my opinion, if you're trying to create something that queer people can enjoy. But if you don't include it in some way, if you don't include, oh, yeah, it was really hard coming out to my parents at first. Oh, yeah, they weren't necessarily supportive at first, but then, you know, they came around. And again, there are a couple of nods here and there, but it was, it should be present and not be written over because it doesn't feel honest otherwise. We just like, we didn't hear anything about, like, we didn't know anything about Sam really at all. Like, I mean, really, they had no personality other than like flannels and whiny. Flannel of personality. Yes. <laughs> For gay people, it is. Got it. <laughs> um, and presumably it must have been hard to come out as non-binary in a tiny town in Tennessee. Not presumably that tiny town. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I thought that was kind of weird too. Everybody just accepted this and got the pronouns right. And there was no, here's how I came to be. I'm scared to be on Becca's arm in Hollywood because... I'm not sure how the world will accept me. Is it going to, you know, there was no depth to like any of Sam's concerns and identity didn't seem to have anything to do with anybody's concerns about anything because apparently everybody they've interacted with for their entire lives has graciously accepted them for exactly who they are. That's such a good example, right? Because that would have been a character option because again, That's a thing that trans people have to deal with is if I step into the public spotlight, how is it going to reflect on me and the people I love and my community? If I'm constantly under the spotlight, am I going to have to be watching my every single move? Is that slowly going to destroy my relationship because I feel as though I can't be myself, right? Like there are story options there and they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to involve someone shouting slurs at you. Um, They don't have to involve like being absolutely miserable, but those are the stories that actually exist. And those are stories that should get told and we shouldn't erase real queer people's experience just because it's hard to do well. Yeah. Which I guess is a segue into my question for you was, is it positive that queerness has become mainstream enough that we're starting to see the same old sappy recycled storyline holiday films featuring them or is that ultimately not something to be celebrated or would it just be helpful if they were good it would be it would be helpful if they were good that would be nice (laughs) so i mean i think part of the issue is the sort of homogeneity of these movies, right? Like the queer community is a huge, diverse group with a bunch of different identities and all sorts of different experiences. And the the movies, they're just like the exact same experience copied and pasted. And then when you have a different experience, I mean, this was an interesting thing. So it never really explains what on earth is going on with Becca's family. Her mom is single. I think they mentioned maybe that her dad died at some point, question mark. 
It was very ambiguous and not really ever clearly talked about. But anyway, she has a brother, Jack, who's very all all of the mov- the characters in this movie were kind of caricature-y. You know, there was like a black woman who was like super loud and over the top. And then there's her brother, who is an Asian guy who is always wins at trivia and is super nerdy and got into UNC Chapel Hill and is also very awkward and bad at relationships. And the really obnoxious white girl who's like, likes him, but is also super jealous of him because she wants to win trivia. And she also got into UNC. Yeah, what was that? That was so stupid. There's a scene where someone says like, oh, sparks are flying. And I'm like, (laughs) there were no sparks. There were no sparks. There were no sparks in any of these movies. I will get to that in a moment. But anyway, and then I actually had to Google it. The actress who plays actor, I think she's actually just a musician, which explains the acting maybe but she is actually biracial but the thing is her brother is very just like typically asian looking and she is very white passing so it's like even when they were like let's make this more diverse they did it in such a way that the experience of being biracial and Asian just got completely written out. That is interesting. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, they did seem to be trying very, very hard. The desire was there to make this a very diverse movie. Oh, yes. They wanted to check all of the boxes. There was also a deaf woman who, you know, what irked me was like she comes up and they start talking in sign language and all of that stuff. When they're talking to her, when they're talking to each other while she's standing right there, they're not signing. It was like they wanted to check all of these boxes. Like we're making a queer Christmas movie and there's going to be a black character and she's one of them is going to be Asian and one of them is going to be deaf and blah, blah, blah. And they just didn't put any effort in yeah oh there's another thing you could tell that this film had no budget you could tell that they didn't have any extras Mm. have you ever noticed that sometimes when a film doesn't have enough extras like they're trying really hard to make every shot look as though there are the correct number of people in it but it Um. still feels empty it was really bothering me because like yeah the entire town just looked like a set piece that wasn't populated the reason to the budget point the reason I thought the juggling scene was so funny is it really looked like they'd throw the ball up in the air and then cut and then throw the ball up in the air and then cut and like piece <laughs> all of those together <laughs> because they didn't have anybody that could juggle. Yeah. <laughs> Irene said it looked like Disney World, but sad. Oh, now I feel kind of bad. People, people anyway, put my... effort into this movie. D- did they though? <laughs> I mean, I think so. And it is somebody trying to create representation. And they're like, we have no money. And but we want to make a movie with all of these people in it. I am willing to say that some people involved in the process probably did put effort in. I do not think that the movie as a whole demonstrates a terribly good faith effort to be as diverse as it's purporting to be. So the answer to your question is kind of wait till you can do it better to do it yeah well i mean i think the problem is that studios with actual budgets either aren't giving these movies a budget or they're choosing not to make them and so you know we have like all of these what one thing that had the two movies lifetime yeah lifetime which i think you know is they're very just like a lower budget hallmark maybe yeah right like that's what i'm saying is 
And these are not movies with theatrical releases. These are not movies that are being given any press attention. These are movies that are being sort of released on the down low so that, oh, I guess the gay people can have something to watch Christmas too. And yeah, I'm sure that, you know, there was probably a director who was thrilled to have the opportunity to direct these movies. And that's great. But bad representation, representation that does not represent a community as a whole, and representation that sort of gets hidden away in the corners of Amazon, it's not that meaningful. I mean, I guess I would rather live in a world where there are some gay Christmas movies than no gay Christmas movies. Like, I guess it's better than nothing, but I don't feel represented when I watch these movies. And the other thing is that there's no chemistry in any of these movies, with the exception of, I thought, single all the way. I thought they had decent chemistry. I don't really remember Happiest Season or not, but all the rest of them, zero chemistry. They did not look like they wanted to be kissing one another. Yeah. If you're gonna make a gay romance movie, they should should look like they want to be kissing each other. It shouldn't look like you got a couple of straight people and made them kiss. You know, and to be fair, like you and I are, I think we figured out not really the audience for the Hallmark type Christmas movie anyway, because I think we would be having a really similar reaction if we had watched the straight versions of these movies. I don't know. Irene apparently watches a lot of Hallmark movies and really likes them. And she still didn't like this. Well, you know, we did this. Maybe we're going to have to do this again next year because we didn't get to watch the Hallmark ones that are coming out because they were not out yet. But maybe they'll do a better job. We didn't watch any Hallmark ones. So we'll see how they do. I was kind of thinking about holiday movies and gay representation and... One of the best, it's an older movie. I know I made you watch it and I know you guys didn't love it, but then it was a Thanksgiving movie, but um, Home for the Holidays with Holly Hunter. Do you remember watching that with me? She got fired and then she went home and she had like the really uptight sister and then her kind of crazy brother that was there too. Anyway, the brother was gay and, and this movie came out when I was in college. So it's been a while. But the family was not uniformly enthusiastic about his gayness. And in fact, the one sister was like really mean about it. And it just, I thought it was a really, you know, not the main story. So can't really call it a a queer holiday film. But I thought they just did a really good job of representing him fairly authentically and showing how that whole spectrum of family members from accepting to not accepting can feel when you go home for the holidays and you're faced not with an entire family of people that are homophobic and you can't tell not with an entire family of people that are accepting and loving and wonderful but like a mixture of very real complicated people that have very real complicated feelings about it. You should go back and watch it again. I'm curious to see what you would what you would say about it from that standpoint, because I felt like it was earlier than you were seeing a lot of that in movies. And it was Robert Downey Jr. played the gay brother. He was really good. But that also wasn't made to be like a romantic comedy holiday movie. It was a little darker movie. Well, and I think, weirdly enough, some of the best queer representation, I think, is in some of those. You know, there's a lot of crap representation, too. Um, I think before it was such a thing of like, oh, we got to make a gay Hallmark movie. Yeah, So, like, one of probably the best kind of rom com type movies I've watched 
was But I'm a Cheerleader, which came out in 1999. I know you don't like what's her name's voice, but um, I seem to have problems with a lot of people's voices, which is unfortunate because I'm on a podcast and probably people who can't stand my voice either. So, but anyway, um, but anyway, yeah, I think that's one of the best, like the best queer love stories I've seen, like in, in movies, at least like, and not just the love story part of it either, but the representation across the spectrum. I mean, you have like, wow, a queer Asian man whose identity isn't, I mean, obviously like they were all sent to conversion camp by their families, but he's like one of the only characters who doesn't have a horrible interaction with his family, which most queer Asian characters are defined by like their family being crappy you know there's like a character who's probably trans um who gets sent to conversion therapy because they're like really masculine and everyone's like oh you're definitely gay and they're like no i like men actually i just like basketball too right and then the the actual love story is really sweet and complicated deals with the concept of coming out and being in a relationship in a really sensitive way. And it's from 1999. And so, you know, I like there is good representation out there. And I guess I would just like to see that in a holiday. Like if they could do it in 1999, why can't they do it now? You know? Yeah. The other thing is I also just don't want it to only be romances, right? Like I want to have something like love actually that's about like a, a broad spectrum of relationships. Or I want to have something like Polar Express, which is like a kid's movie about just like Christmas in general. And I want to have movies is like that that also include queer characters that's what i want for christmas this year maybe they're just trying to sugarcoat it right now to make it go down a little easier you know to make it more acceptable to the masses anyway we i think have gone on for a really long time here so we should wrap it up we are going to take a break for christmas so we will be back in a month and we are going to get a little heavier and talk about free speech and hate speech and the right to protest, you know, how that interacts with the law and the queer community. This is something that I, well, I just took a class on, you know, constitutional, like civil rights and liberties. And also it's something that has been coming up a lot in the media and as well as on campus. So it's something that I think is definitely really important to address right now. All right. So in the meantime, enjoy the holidays and we will see you next year. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at queerkidsstraightmom.com or visit us on Facebook, Queer Kids Straight Mom, Instagram at queerkid.straightmom or Twitter at queerkidstr, the number eight mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast.